Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Maura Ahrens Mealy. Maura, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Maura is with me today to share how she has helped herself and, and others to turn their biggest fears into life-changing leadership. So for anyone who worries that anxiety, including myself, or other mental health challenges stands between them and success, the success that they deserve, Maura is going to share highlights from her upcoming book, The Anxious Achiever, which features powerful stories, practical tools, exercises, and strategies that empower leaders and other high achievers, like us as business owners and entrepreneurs, to transform an apparent weakness into a critical strength. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowabusiness.com. So a little bit more about Maura. Maura Irons Mealy is the host of The Anxious Achiever, The Anxious Achiever, a top 10 management podcast that helps people rethink the relationship between their mental health and their leadership, as I mentioned a moment ago. Maura founded Women Online and The Mission List, an award-winning digital consulting firm and influencer marketing company dedicated to social change back in 2010 and sold her business in 2021. She helped Hillary Clinton log on for the first internet chat, for her first internet chat, and has launched digital campaigns for President Obama, the United Nations, the CDC, and many other leading figures and organizations. She lives outside the Boston area with her family and menagerie. So how many animals are we talking about? There? <laughs> when they have four right now, it's kind okay. of a low, low watermark. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine <laughs> when you, anybody who uses that word means there's lots <laughs> of critters around. Uh, and of course, as I mentioned, Maura is the author of the upcoming book. By the time you listen to this episode, it should be coming out soon. You can pre-order it, but it'll be available everywhere you buy books, including Amazon. I'll have a link to it on the show notes page for this episode as well. But the book is going to be is entitled "The Anxious Achiever: Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower." Maura Aaron's Mealy, welcome to the show. Thanks. All right, so let's start uh, here a little bit with the journey, which is always of interest to me. As I did the research, you got you got some serious education. <laughs> so you, you got your political science degree from Brown, then you went on to get a, a a master's of public administration at Harvard. What was it that you wanted to be when you grew up back then? <laughs> well, I always wanted to work in politics. Uh, that was just a passion of mine ever since I was a teenager, really, and. I got my start actually working in independent film in New York City. And mm. then, yeah, because I also loved film. Film and politics were my passions. And then I, I learned about this thing called the internet that all my friends were starting to work at these dot-coms. This was in the late 90s. And I went to work at iVillage.com, which was at the time the leading website for women. It was a huge innovator, really, really early online community pioneer. And I went to work for them. And then they sent me over to London and I um, helped build uh, their marketing operation in London and then went to go work in online travel. So I worked <laughs> for, yeah, well, that was a great experience. I learned a lot of sort of quantitative marketing skills, right? Did a lot of ad buying, 
worked for Europe's second largest travel, second largest online travel company at the time, but I loved politics. So then I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go go to Washington and hang out my hat and see who hires me. And I ended up getting a job for John Kerry's presidential campaign. This was in um, 03. So he was mm-hmm. running against George W. Bush. And um, again, had the great good fortune to be at the moment of a new internet innovation, which was blogging Hmm. and what we called web 2.0, which I'm sure you remember. (laughs) And I just fell in love with blogging because it was like all the principles that I had learned at iVillage about connecting through community online, but it combined writing and opinion. And so I got really involved in the blogging world and political blogging. And, um, and I thought, gosh, this is this is what I want to do. And so um, after that election cycle, I went and worked at Edelman, which is a, a huge communications firm, and really helped them pioneer a lot of their Web 2.0 stuff. I started a department. But I just one day realized, oh, my gosh, I'm crying in the bathroom all the time. Hmm. I cannot cope. I had had so many jobs, tough jobs, big jobs. And I always felt like my temperament, my anxiety, my depression were butting against those big jobs and those environments. And you were, I'm assuming, because I understand it, you were overachieving almost to try to to prove to yourself and to the world that you didn't have this anxiety, right? That you could do this. I think I was overachieving because it's all I knew how to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of our listeners can were, resonate. Were you you think you were wired that way or were you influenced that way by your parents or a combination of all of the above? All of the above. My my mom will say that I just was born that way. She's like, you know, when you were three years old, you used to wake up at six and be like, what's happening today? <laughs> um, but I was also a very, very anxious child, you know, mm. like, again, starting at three years old. And then I grew up in a pretty competitive, you know, environment. My parents were, were both great, but also I feel like had high expectations. And, you know, all these things combine, right? It's nature, it's nurture. I think all I knew how to do was was overachieve and I just hit a wall about 10 years into my career. And so I went back to graduate school and I wanted to be a workplace psychologist. So I actually as I was going to Harvard getting my master's of public administration which I thought was a really good sort of foundational management degree, I was pursuing my master of social work as well but I never finished it, which is a huge regret I have. Hmm. And so what did you go on to do then after getting that degree? I started freelancing to put myself through grad school and after I had left corporate America and I loved freelancing. I called it freelancing. I'd never thought of myself as an entrepreneur really. Right, but that was the first taste of it, right? Totally. But did did it create even more anxiety because now it was up to you to go get the next gig? No. It felt like I was free. Interesting. I, and again, I I think probably a lot of your listeners will resonate. I felt that, and this was way before the pandemic and remote work, right? This was during the era when we showed up every day and we sat there when we were expected to be there. (laughs) Yeah. And that was it. And I really struggled with 
corporate office culture and political, all kinds of dot-com, all kinds of office culture. I struggled with office politics. I struggled with standing up for myself. I struggled with imposter feelings. I struggled with performance anxiety. I struggled with social anxiety. The whole setup of work just made me a ball of anxiety. And I didn't like being there all day. It was very taxing to me. And the minute I started freelancing and literally could work from my laptop at my kitchen table, I literally felt a burden lift because I realized yeah. I love to work. I love my work. I just, I just didn't like how I had to do it. It didn't suit me. Do you still to this day prefer to work more isolated? Uh, I'm that type of person. I, mm. I love working at home office, but my business partner, David Begin, for example, he needs the social interaction. He, he feeds off of it, whereas as I don't. Yep. My first book was called Hiding in the Bathroom, <laughs> how, <laughs> how to Get Out There When You'd Rather Stay Home. So you could probably get a sense of my yeah. answer. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and and that's, again, where the, my passion for online community really saved me because I was connected to so many online communities through my work as a blogger. And that actually made it kind of easy to build a business and to build a print. Mm -hmm. It just came naturally. Yeah. There's a, a quote um, from, I got, I was able to preview the book, but I believe this comes from the book, but the quote is, Quote, across the globe, an estimated 284 million people suffer from anxiety, making anxiety the world's most common mental health ailment, end quote. It's pretty impactful, right? And But but it's also, as I was doing the research and preparing and, pre and reviewing your book, it was a little, it was liberating for somebody like me who deals with anxiety as well, because uh, it's always very isolating. We feel like we're the only ones that are suffering this way. Would you talk a little bit about your anxiety right now? Sure. Yeah. Tell us. I, you know, it's similar to you, you know, it's, it's, it, and I had a career, a very successful career in the nineties in sales where I had to be front and center, right. Had to get up and present and, and, uh, and convince people why our solution in that case, I was selling software systems and I suffer from imposter syndrome just about every time that I would get up to do a presentation. So that created mm -hmm. tremendous anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, over that 10-year career or so over the 90s, it would then manifest itself in, in I just hated travel. You know, getting on a plane was just like, I, oh I just couldn't God. stand it. And then staying in another hotel room was just like, I started almost, almost developing a germ phobia. Didn't quite get there, but it was like everything seemed like foreign to me to the point that when I retired from that career, we bought an RV and spent, my daughter was early, um, she was preschool and we spent the better part of a couple of years doing long RV trips because I could not stay at another hotel room, right? Oh my gosh. Wow. Now, you know, I'm, I'm amplifying it a bit, but that's, that's how it manifested for me. Just, just to share a little bit of it was that imposter syndrome. I always felt that when I was up there presenting, somebody was going to point at me and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a fraud. And I always dealt with that. But to your point, this is what I love about this. I was able to, however, channel that into a superpower of sorts mm -hmm. and that, but at, at a cost, because I was going to be as prepared as anybody, right? But that took a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of anxiety to make sure that I was as prepared as I possibly could before I got up on that stage. 
Oh and when gosh. I say stage, I'm talking about, you know, in a conference room, and I'm not talking about a formal stage, but you know what I mean? The, but we're on stage when we're doing those type, that type of work, right? We're also on stage when we're on Zoom every day now. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm really resonating with what you're saying. I had um, almost a flying phobia. I could get on mm, planes, yeah. but I would have to medicate myself very heavily to do so. And similarly, and, and still to this day, I'm just crippled with imposter feelings all the time. And then, you know, when I, when I feel like an imposter, when I feel like I'm going to be found out, when I feel like I don't belong, I respond by acting my anxiety out through perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And this is a cycle that a lot of us get trapped in. And, and here's the thing, when you're your own boss, this can become a real trap. Yeah. Well, there's no one there necessarily to check us, is there? That's right. And we really have to develop skills. And this is part of the superpower. We have to develop skills to protect ourselves, to take care of ourselves while still building a great business. And that is really hard to do. I feel like I really learned the hard way. I'm sure, sure you did too. And, you know, I really want people to understand that they can build whatever they want to build, whether it's a small business, whether it's the next Google, mm -hmm. while they suffer from anxiety, from depression, from bipolar disorder, but they're going to have to work differently. The good news is working differently is amazing. <laughs> and it's what I argue everyone should do. Um, because it creates sustainability and it builds resilience. So can you start to share a little bit about what you mean by working differently? Of course. I mean, I want to also start with the good news right now, which is that we have so much more leniency. Certainly those of us whose work depends on a screen and a computer and a phone to pace our own work. I think that there are three pieces of the workplace that I have sort of pulled out over the years as being really important levers that people like us mm -hmm. <laughs> probably want to control at their work. And actually, I don't think it's the work content itself that necessarily should be the first to change. A lot of us think that we, we hate our work when really we just hate how we do our work. Mm. So the first is pace. I call it pace, place, and space. Pacing is exactly what it sounds like. It is the energy and speed and content of your day, of your week. You like to work alone, but do you also like to have a couple hours free in the middle of the day? Are you a night owl? Do you prefer to put in three really intense weeks and then have a week where you can kind of coast. If you're a working parent, right, and you have kids at home or obligations as a caretaker, do you want to build that into your schedule? You know, when I ran my small business, I understood everyone's desire for pace because I had my creative director, Christine, she was a nine to fiver. Mm -hmm. She would just work, work, work between nine to five, but she had a boundary, which is after five, 
please don't contact me unless it's really important. Please right. don't contact me on the weekends. And then Jen, my partner is a night owl <laughs> and she really got going late at night. And so everyone I argue should be able to modulate the pace of their work. And that really helps us build in guardrails and sustainability. The second one is place. And that's, again, that's exactly how you laid it out. Where do I like to do work? Where do I draw energy? You like to work from home. Your partner likes to be out there. Some people really love being in their cars <laughs> mm. and having a job that allows them to like get the refuge of their car and then right. go sell. And space is a little bit more metaphysical, but space is really how you operate around people, what your energy gets drawn from. Do you need lots of time to think? Do you need time to prep before a meeting? I find um, as an introvert and someone with social anxiety, I need a lot of space from people. I need a lot of space to think and do really good work. I'm not great just jumping into a brainstorm. And that's a really, really important thing to think about, especially if your temperament falls outside our biased sort of patriarchal norm, which is someone who's much more extroverted and likes to stand in front of the room. Mm -hmm. Although I like to do that too. I'm sure. a, I'm a hammy introvert. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same way. Yeah, I can turn it on and, and I love the attention that you get. Right. And mm -hmm. I love that. But, but, uh, but if, for example, the other way it would manifest for me is after a, a long day of meeting with prospective clients and doing presentations and demonstrations, the thing that I dreaded the most was the going out to dinner with the client. Oh my God. I hate to go out to dinner. <laughs> I was just exhausted by then. And I just, I can't do this anymore. I would, but it was just, it was just painful for me by that time of the day. Yeah. Oh, Henry. I mean, I would go so far as to always have an excuse yeah. ready <laughs> exactly. as to why I couldn't go out to dinner. Yeah. I, you know, but then, then the older I got, I realized like, this is a real boundary for me mm. and I have to work really hard because the thing is, as your business grows, you have to provide for more people. Of course. And if you're not in good shape, you can't provide for those people, much less yourself. And so you, you really have to take this stuff seriously. It becomes a necessity for your leadership. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, so as you laid out pace, place, and space, how how do you recommend uh, that for those of us who are business owners and like you just spoken to, we got to work with others, our teams, our partners, whatever, and understanding what they need in those three categories? How how do you recommend we assess that, talk about that, be aware of that? I think we do exactly that. I mean, especially in small business, right, where it really, really matters that you function well as a team and respect each other's boundaries. I think that you as the founder, whether you have one person or you have 10 or you have 100, whatever, you as the founder set the tone. So you model really good, respectful behavior. You model your own boundaries and you ask people things like, are you better if you get a document two or three days before the mm -hmm. pitch, mm -hmm. one day, whatever, or are you okay just seeing it 15 minutes beforehand, right? And that if they need to see it a day before to really prep and sink in, then I have to adjust my schedule. Are you happier on camera or off camera on Zoom <laughs> yeah. when, when you need to write what is your ideal 
You know, should I leave you alone? All these things that are so fundamental to how we function and to our mental health, we we somehow feel disempowered to talk about. And I don't understand why. It to me, it's sort of people who live on the East Coast will will understand the Amtrak. There's always a quiet car. And in a lot of commuter mm. rail systems, right? There's a quiet car. And you go in the quiet car when you just don't feel like talking to your neighbor. Right. I sort of see it like the quiet car of business. Do you do you think that uh, because I, I am a proponent for the different um, systems that exist, the different assessments that exist, like Colby and others, to help us understand what our preferred methods are? What are your thoughts on using tools like that to help us understand our coworkers, our partners, you know, our staff? What are your thoughts there? Um, I think I think tools are great because a lot of us are so used to working in a style that is not suited for us. We we for, we don't even know. <laughs> you know, it takes a little bit of inquiry and a little bit of work. This is why I also think that therapy and coaching is incredibly valuable if you have the resources for it. A lot of us, we couldn't just say it off the bat because we've come up in systems that don't suit us. So mm-hmm. whatever helps you really get to a place where you understand how you can thrive, I'm a fan of. Yeah. And how you can help your team thrive as a leader in your small business. A hundred percent. I mean, self-awareness, 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 self-awareness is the best leadership quality. This is Henry Lopez briefly pausing this episode to invite you to join me for one of my next live online workshops. During these interactive workshops, I cover a specific topic that will help you with starting and growing your small business. Just visit thehowofbusiness.com to learn more and to register. If you need help creating an effective business plan, for example, to start your first small business, then my next business plan workshop may be just what you need. Or perhaps you need help completing your financial projections for your new business. Well, I have a workshop for that too. And if you're already operating your business, then you can probably benefit from learning how to better manage the cash in your business by attending my cash flow management online workshop. These are just a few of the workshops that I currently offer. And I keep these workshops to a small number of participants so that we have the time to answer all of your questions. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there with one of my online workshops. To find out more and to register for a live online workshop, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to having you join me for my next workshop. All right, I want to explore control a little bit more because this is a big word for me. If if someone asks me, what, why did I become an entrepreneur? Why did I become a a small business owner? Control is part of that, but it's deep rooted. It comes back to, if I go all the way back to childhood, my dad controlling me and wanting to get out from under that control. But there's a great quote that really resonated with me in the book on control. And it is this quote, why does control feel so good to an anxious leader? Why? Let me repeat that quote. Why does control feel so good to an anxious leader or anyone for that matter? Anxious people seek control as a way of protecting themselves from the bad outcomes we imagine. It's driven by the hope that if we can take the wheel for a while, 
the thing we fear most won't happen, end quote. There's a lot in those couple of sentences there that that resonated for me. So just tell, give me a little bit more about that. And why, why is this that, that this control and the way it manifests for us who are more anxious? Why does control feel so good to an anxious does, leader? Exactly. Mm. So we humans are wired to really hate uncertainty because uncertainty, yes. you know, back in this, back in the stone ages, right. Uncertainly could kill us. Uncertainty yeah. It equal danger us. or imminent death. Yeah, exactly. And, and, um, as I explained in the book, you know, I've interviewed a lot of neuroscientists and um, that's hardwired. We, we unfortunately can't change that. That's in our lizard brain. So we may fear, whereas we used to fear a saber toothed tiger jumping out to kill us. We may fear that 5 PM meeting with Bill and our, our brain thinks there's a tiger in the woods. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us then reach for control or the illusion of control as a way to calm down those really uncomfortable feelings of anxiety. And that becomes a habit. And it is something we can do to fill the space that would otherwise be occupied by worry and anxiety. And so a lot of us, and this manifests in micromanaging, this manifests yeah. in so many really, really damaging behaviors that we don't even realize we're doing it because yeah. we've been doing it for so long. It's just our need to not feel anxiety. It's so critical to understand this because what we allow ourselves then we, we touched on this a moment ago about nobody checking us as entrepreneurs, as the business owner, there's no one necessarily to rein me in on allowing this to become this monster, right? Mm -mm. There's a side of it that, that makes sense. It's why one of my motivations, as I said, to have control over my own destiny or over what I can produce or over how much I can make, how much I'm worth that, that kind of control, but it, but it grows beyond there. If I don't check it into all of these things, perfectionism, uh, not being able to delegate, micromanaging, uh, all of those things, all of those bad things is what it can grow into if I'm not careful, right? That's right. And 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 the irony is, is that a lot of us get rewarded for that behavior, right? Right. And it works for us until it doesn't. And and I and I I would just ask people, you know, I I still wrestle with it every single day. I am an overfunctioner, which is something that I also talk about in the book. And this is this comes from uh, family systems theory, which anyone who's been in therapy, especially with their partners or kids, might know about. Which is that those of us who grow up in difficult homes or have difficult experiences as a child where we feel like we have to take care of ourselves and others, maybe when we're too young, we tend to find other people in our life who we think need help and we do for them. And this shows up in leadership really often because over-functioners, sort of anxious achievers, you know, can get really far through sheer drive and work ethic and always doing everything well. Right. <laughs> but the problem is, is that for every over-functioner, there's an under-functioner and that can really suppress teams and really stifle good things. Plus it's exhausting. Yeah. But well, and then it also, as you talk about in the book, it, of course, one of the things it does is it leads to burnout. Mm-hmm. 
And that's again, because that, that burnout by, by dealing with the perfectionism, by managing all the anxiety, all of those things. Question I had for you related to perfectionism and it not leading to burnout. The thing I'm always challenged with is, and I'm curious is how do you determine when something is good enough? <laughs> um, this is such, that's such a great question, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's subjective, but it could be objective. And this is something I would encourage everyone to do. Your standards might be wrong. Did you ever think about that? Your yes. standards <laughs> might be wrong. They might be too high. They might be too low. I doubt it. And so think about how you can objectify what good is. Can you put that into numbers? Can you put that into hours? Can you put that into output? This again is the kind of practice that we small business owners really, really need because otherwise we might drive ourselves into burnout because we just work too much. I mean, I'm sure everyone can relate to that presentation or that speech or that whatever, that report, that deliverable, that they just worked, 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 worked. And for what, really? Mm -hmm. Right. For diminishing returns. And not to mention what we what it does to the teams that we lead because, because it's never good enough, right? That's exactly right. I mean, this is what my new LinkedIn learning course is about, and I'm so excited for it. It's about managing your own perfectionism and navigating through it because this kind of stuff is contagious. It's not only about us. And uh, we as, as managers and leaders, and frankly, we as vendors, people who have clients, we need to remember this. The other thing you talk about in the book as it relates to burnout is setting boundaries, and you've touched on that already, but is there a technique that you can share that, that you use for setting boundaries? I mean, again, this is the kind of stuff that many of us have ignored sometimes for decades. And so it's not always immediately apparent what your boundaries are. It takes practice. It takes noticing, mm-hmm. take, takes playing detective, as my friend Rebecca Harley says. Mm-hmm. And so you can start. I mean, one of the best ways to start is to listen to your body throughout the workday. Your body takes in all these feelings. And I think a lot of us at certain points, we may feel that feeling of our chest is really tight, our stomach is clenched. Did you, I just learned that our stomachs are the sort of hardest muscle, our stomach muscles, the hardest muscles to unclench and let go. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. We hold so much. And your shoulders might be tight and your jaw might be tight and your hands might feel shaky and you might start to get distracted or your heart beats or you feel nauseous. Listen to your body. Yeah, you have trying. an exercise in the book yeah. on this, right? Could you walk us through that just briefly? How that works? Because I, I, I know you go ahead. To do a body to do a body scan? Yeah, body scan. Yeah, for sure. I, oh, I love a body scan. And and you don't have to listen to me. There are so many resources out there for this exercise. It is truly great. So one of the things that I would try to ask you to do is to sit in a place where your feet are on the floor and, um, you know, you're just kind of comfortably sitting, but you can also lie on the ground and take a couple breaths to just try to center, right? Oh my gosh, I just let my stomach go. (sighs) Try to send your breath into your belly and start at your feet and your calves and your knees 
in your thighs and your butt and your hips. Like, does anything feel really tight? Is anything hurting? And what about your lower back, and your stomach? Whew, my stomach is super tight today. And your chest. You know, when we're anxious, we hold breath tightly in our chest. And so your chest can feel really tight. And then think about your hands and your wrists, your forearms, oh, and your upper arms and your shoulders. Oh my gosh, your shoulders and your neck and your jaw and your head. And if any part is really tight, try to tune into that and think about when did it start feeling tight? Does it feel tight at a certain time of day? Is there a pattern? It's such a great way to just start beginning the practice of noticing because noticing is also a habit. And when we notice our anxiety, we can talk about it. We can put it out there, even if it's just to ourselves. And we start to sort of take the teeth out of it. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I, and listen, I'm not, I'm not big into, um, you know, I'm not big into woo-woo stuff, um, but what this does is it helps you be aware, just mm-hmm. to take a moment for us to be aware. And like you said, I, I've always found that that once we are aware of what is causing us that stress or we start to think about it, we're on our way to hopefully addressing it and uh, and doing something about it. And, it. and just that awareness of it, I think, helps us relieve some of that tension, stress, anxiety, perhaps. Absolutely. And I want to just highlight something you just said, the difference between stress and anxiety and why this exercise is especially helpful. There's another exercise you can do, which is going through your calendar hour by hour. What this act of noticing does is it helps you distinguish between stress and anxiety and take action. So stress is external, right? It's an Mm. external demand placed upon us. Anxiety is an internal, it's an emotion, it's a state that we feel. Stressors are things that can be addressed. What is this stressor that is pulling me down? And can I do something about it? Mm Can I ask for a couple more days on the deadline (laughs) versus what's making me anxious, which is what I'm anticipating feeling, which is sort of a deep seated feeling of, of worry or anticipation or uncertainty or, you know, sort of bad feelings that I have. What are those trying to tell me and what am I anticipating? And I think Mm -hmm. that that nuance is helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So we both have children and and one of the things that I worry about is am I have I and do I continue to pass on my anxieties to to my daughter? Hmm. How do, how do you think about that and and um do you think that you know this goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning is this something we're born with or does our does our upbringing influence it? That's probably a combination of all of those. But what are your thoughts on that? How how do we avoid And maybe avoid is the wrong word, but how do we deal with not or helping our children deal with anxiety? It's a really hard question, especially right now. My kids, like I'm sure your kid and like everyone's were really affected by the pandemic and our our mental health has all suffered. Yeah. 
what I don't want people to do is to beat themselves up if they're anxious and they have anxious kids. Yeah. You know, it's, you don't need another source of parental guilt. No, <laughs> right. No. And that was one of the things I was, I was reviewing the book. It did kind of provide that, you know what? Um, we can, first of all, it's not all my doing. I didn't do that to her, <laughs> but maybe she was born with some of that. Uh, maybe it's it or hereditary, but uh, she can, she can continue to turn it into a superpower, which is the, one of the key points of the book, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, anxiety might be something that's really dragging her down and that you both want to invest in, in fixing Good point. The, the thing that I, the thing that I want to just say is if you're a parent, and you are super anxious, your kids know. And I I am really struggling with this myself because, because it's been a really challenging time. And then I've been really anxious. And then it's a it feels like a cycle of anxiety in our house sometimes. And I've been really trying to model, not pretending like I don't have anxiety, but acknowledging that I do, but that that's okay. I'm working on it. Mommy sees a therapist mommy talks about it and and we can talk about it too. Like you, you don't need to be perfect. You need to model trying to get help and trying to get better. And that's one of the ways that we turn this into a leadership superpower. Exactly. Um, COVID, as you said, obviously created as a, my, my partner, David Begin really called it out for me early on. It's like the biggest impact of this is going to be the mental health impact. Mm -hmm. However, on the flip side of it, as you mentioned earlier, it has allowed and for a lot of us, uh, this different ability to have that pace place in space, hasn't it? It's radically changed work. It's radically changed work. And, um, for, for knowledge workers, um, yes, yes. And that's a good thing. I mean, I, I was yep. part of the work life and workplace flexibility community and movement for many years. And mm-hmm. it, we, it always felt like banging your head against the wall. And then right. over overnight, everyone got to work from home. So I think I think that's amazing. And I think it's opened up possibilities. However, it's also helped real a lot of people really struggle with boundaries. And it's yes. helped a lot of people feel you know, like they don't have place anymore. They don't right. have space. Mm-hmm. So it's not perfect. We we still have to work on this, but at the heart of it is communicating at the heart of all good management, frankly, right. Is communicating. And I just want people to be able to talk <laughs> and feel like they know themselves well enough to sort of advocate and ask for what they need. Well said. All right. I usually ask this at the outset, but but let's go back. The, the book, again, is The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Why did you write it? And who, ideally, who is it for? It's for anyone who notices their anxiety, certainly in the course of a workday, and wants help, you know, and wants ideas. It's also for people like me, who have more serious mental health challenges and really struggle sometimes to match their ambition (laughs) and their goals with what they need to take care of their mental health. I wrote it because when I was sort of touring for my first book, Hiding in the Bathroom, we talked a lot about introversion, but I also would talk about anxiety and people's eyes would light up and Mm. all of a sudden the floodgates would open 
And I thought, oh my God, I mean, this is so that's the, the origin is then I pitched this as a podcast to Harvard Business Review because I said, this is something that people never talk about in the context of work. And yet we all bring anxiety to work every single day. Um, and that's kind of how it was all born. Wonderful. When you, when someone, or let's say you meet someone for the first time and they share with you that they are also an anxious achiever, um, where do you, where do you recommend that they start? Where do you recommend that someone starts to, to continue to have this conversation, but also begin to, to channel this as a leadership superpower? I really would encourage people to start with therapy, honestly, you know, with, with getting some professional help. Um, I think that I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. I think that there are so many evidence-based strategies out there and I include many of them in my book, but I, there's nothing like learning. There's nothing like really getting in touch with this stuff. It is such a life skill. It will change you and it will make you happier and more creative and more innovative and more more driven. <laughs> and so, but driven for the right reasons. And, mm -hmm. and then when you understand your anxiety, then you can really channel it. Like I understand, I understand my anxiety. Well, sometimes I hate it and I tell it to go away. And a lot of times I use it like right now promoting a book. I am really anxious, but I am using that anxiety because I have a lot of output. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's actually something and, and I do want to say, if you're if you're struggling so much right now that you are unable to function, please go get help right away. You must away. get help, yeah. You must, you get, must help. get help. And that's not the kind of anxiety we're talking about. No, we're, no. We're talking no. about sort of in the middle of, if it's on a spectrum, it's the middle of the spectrum where it's something that you bring with you, that you notice, that you travel with, but it's not keeping you from living your life. Right. It's not debilitating. It's not to the point where um, it's it's got us in a deep depression. We must yeah. get help if we're there. We must get help regardless, but definitely if you're there, you must get help. Yes. Um, reach out to someone. You must get help. Um, okay. So uh, just to, just to continue with the example of now that you're, you're promoting this book, uh, give me a little bit more about how that's manifesting for you. How is it that you're channeling your anxiety to promote this book? Give me an example of how that works for you. Well, like many anxious achievers, I'm very good at working. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm great at working. And so I have sort of made a deal with myself and my anxiety and my husband and kids, frankly, that this time we've set a sort of eight week period. This is like mom's time mm -hmm. to really just go for it. And every day I struggle because I wake up and I'm super anxious and I'm also really excited. Yeah. But I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of nervous energy. And I'm really, really putting that to use to be really high performance right now. Is the is the eight-week period part of it, the fact that you have a, um, a, a boundary there, an end that you're working towards? Yes, that is a really good point. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, I, if you're functioning like this, and many of us do, 365 days a year, you're going to burn out. You're going to have a, yeah. but, but you know what, if you're heading towards something that you really care about, uh, I'll never forget. Um, and I don't remember who, the psychologist who said this, but um, someone said, anxiety shows that you care. <laughs> and, um, Interesting. and that's, I like to think about that. 
All right. Good stuff. All right. Um, so the book again is The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Leadership Superpower by my guest, Maura Aarons Mealy. I'm always looking for book recommendations. In addition to yours, is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? There is. And um, it is called Achieving Success Through Social Capital by Wayne Baker. It's an old book, but it's available on Amazon. It is possibly the single most helpful book I've ever read. And it was recommended to me by, by Stu Friedman, who's a really prominent professor at Wharton and um, a pioneer in integrating your work and your life and your family. And the thing that's amazing about this book is that for every business owner, for every entrepreneur, you have a network. And especially if you're introverted, especially mm -hmm. if you're anxious, you need that network to help yes. you. Yes. And this book tells you how, and it is, it's just so great. Thanks for that recommendation. It makes me think, you know, to that point, I have not read this book. So thanks for that recommendation. I'll have more Aaron's Mealy's book, as well as this book recommendation on the show notes page at thehowabusiness.com. But what it made me think about just then, as you were describing that, that that's probably one of the reasons why I prefer to work with a partner mm -hmm. because it gives me that, that person that I can balance things with and, and that can help me through those anxious moments sometimes. hundred percent, hundred percent. Great stuff. What is one thing that you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had more about being an anxious achiever and the key takeaways from your book? What's one thing you want us to take away? You're not alone and you're not flawed. And where would you like us to go online to learn more? I would like you to buy my book wherever you like to buy your books. I would love you to listen to my podcast wherever you like to get your podcasts. And um, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me a message, a connection invite, and I will write back. And the great thing is it's a unique name, Mora, M-O-R-R-A, Aarons-Mealy, M-E-L-E. So you'll be able to find her fairly easily, I think, online. Yes. Thank you so much, Henry. Thank you. This has been a brilliant conversation. I appreciate you taking the time and, and uh, the time to share and be with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Maura Aaron Smealy. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.